podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hull. How are you? Yeah, all right. Thank you, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Really good weekend of uh, non-league action this weekend. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a day out on Saturday, didn't we, to watch it the is. mighty Bradford Park Avenue against Kidderminster Harriers, which obviously we'll come on to and talk about a little bit. And uh, nice to leave behind the stresses and the anxiety of yes. uh, following a championship in a Premier League football club for the weekend. It was really enjoyable, but... Uh, yeah, before we talk about that, I'll just let you know what else is in store for the show, because we've, we've actually got a little guest on this week, had a conversation with uh, with Mike Bailey from the Non-League Day um, initiative, so yeah, it's going to be interesting, obviously we can talk about our experience of the game as well and, and tell you a little bit more about Non-League Day, but obviously there's been some football going on on the international scene, and England played a couple of games, which we will talk about briefly. Yeah, I think brief is, is probably the key yes. word there. There's not, not a huge amount to talk about, is there? But more importantly, we've qualified for the World Cup next year in Russia. So I think we're going to go through our 23-month squad and uh, see how it compares to Gareth Southgate's come the summer. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about the players that we would take and um, sort of the reasoning behind that without going into a huge amount of detail. And then the idea being we will compare our squad with the squad that's picked by Gareth in, I suppose it'll be June next next year when yeah, he picks yeah, it something around that time and uh, yeah we'll see how see how we get on yes but first of all um, as we said Bradford Park Avenue versus Kidderminster Harriers on Saturday yeah so this was part of non-league day which if any of you don't know is um, an, an initiative that was set up about seven years ago by um, a gentleman who's a, a Queen's Park Rangers fan and he, he went to a to a friendly over the summer and it was something that he wanted to build upon because he saw what went on with with non-league, and I, I won't go into too much detail because obviously we've got the interview coming up with Mike, who goes into more detail about the uh, the day and the initiative itself. So, you and I obviously talked about it last week on the podcast and and thought we'd like to get involved in yeah. in non-league day. So we had a little look around to, to to find out what was our most local game in 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 terms of non-league day, and we wanted to go somewhere that we'd never been before, but equally we wanted to go somewhere. Um, of a decent standard because we wanted to see what was on offer and obviously Kidderminster Harriers are a big club they're yeah. somebody who've, who've been in the football league previously and um, they're, they're, they're now in the same league as Bradford Park Avenue so yeah we went along on Saturday and yeah we had, we had a great day didn't we? I had a lovely whole time it was, uh, it was a really great experience and you know something we don't get to do very often um, mainly because we're following our own clubs and um, yeah, it was, was really good to see, even just from you know walking through the turnstiles to go into the kind of social club and the bar, and then obviously into the stands. You know, it's a, a different atmosphere and a different environment all round. And you know, for for me, as I say, just walking through the turnstile, and you know, that guy would have been sat there probably for the last 30, 40 years doing the same kind of job. And again, the same with the people behind the bar. And you know, what what was great was there's probably three or four different things for us to. You know, put a little bit of money into for a raffle or a little pick the club out, and and you know that raises whether it's just a tenner that that's a massive thing for them. And um, obviously, you know, non league day as well partners quite closely with uh, a prostate cancer charity. So again, you know, there's a little bit of money donated to charity there as well. Yeah, I think that was something that was sort of clear throughout the day. And um, these clubs have to take advantage of the bigger crowds because there was there was just over four hundred, I think, or just under four hundred yeah. there on Saturday, and. Um, you consider that their that their normal attendance is probably half of that, and uh, if you get an extra two hundred people through the gate, and you can get between one and five pound from them, then that can make a huge difference. Not just to to the club, but but like you say, the the, the local charities, the national charities, who all have bucket collections going on, and and yeah, it was nice to pay ten pounds to go and see a game of football, and and sort of have some some change left over to contribute towards different things and, and knowing full well where that money's going as well. Yeah, absolutely. But the game itself, uh, really enjoyable game. It was a kind of hard-fought one-all draw, wasn't it? And both sides had plenty of chances and it, it's fairly safe to say the conditions weren't great to play football in. Yeah, it was torrential, wasn't it? The yeah. rain was, was sort of there for about 80% of that game. The last 20 minutes, the sun tried its best to come out. But it yeah, it was, it was dark, it was windy, it was rainy and um, I, I suppose it was everything that you'd connect with non-league football, really. Yeah, um, but, but that said, the standard was good. Um, you know, the, both sides had a slightly different style. Uh, Kidderminster were a lot quicker down the wings, whereas Bradford Park were, you know, they were fairly happy to play it through the middle and there was a couple of really good players that you could easily pick out and, and see potentially, you know, rising through the leagues if they were to, to make a move um, higher up the, the pyramid. But, um, but no, really enjoyable and, and, you know, the fans themselves, they had, uh, there was a, a drum there, which obviously... 
uh, garnered a little bit more atmosphere and there was a, a little hardcore stand behind one of the goals as well that the uh, Bradford Park fans frequented in the second half, which was good to see. Yeah, it did look a little bit like a bus shelter, didn't it? <laughs> um, and they had to have one token steward there just to ensure yes. that none of them got too rowdy. But they, uh, yeah, they managed to behave themselves. There was a, a few shouts from the, the non-league fans that you, you only kind of hear from the non-league games as well, which was... Uh, Thoroughly entertaining for us, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I think one of the most enjoyable parts of the day for me was the the, the two pints of, of Bovril that we drank between <laughs> us. Um, Mitch and I went back for a second Bovril, and didn't you say that the uh, the lady that served you looked at you like you were an absolute nutter? Yeah, um, go, going back for a second she, second Bovril. She she doesn't get that very often. There's a, there's a lot of chips and gravy and, and pies and peas, which is you know, natural for the for the northern fans, but. You know, we, we were the hardcore ones going back into that second second bite of the cherry as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, as we said, we've, we've got a, a special guest this week. And uh, I was fortunate to have a chat last week with uh, Mike Bailey, who's, who's a campaign manager for Non-League Day. And, and you know, you'll, you'll hear how he got involved and his involvement now as well. He's got a few other projects that he's, he's been involved in previously and also at the moment as well. So yeah, have a listen to this. And uh, obviously it should give you a further insight and it should hopefully whet your appetite for uh, more non-league and also next year as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and also, when you finish listening to, to the podcast today and following Mike's interview, definitely check out Non-League Day. It's, it's, it's an easy one to remember. It's just nonleagueday.co.uk. There's loads of information on there. And uh, yeah, you can, can have a look at some of the videos from Saturday and, and, and the various initiatives that they get involved with. So uh, yeah. Excellent. Enjoy. So Mike, what's your history with and, and when did you start following non-league football? Um. From a pretty early age, so I, I grew up in the West Midlands, um, and the the nearest clubs at the time were Shrewsbury Town, Hereford United, and Kidderminster Harriers. And uh, with, with no allegiance at the time, being yeah. seven or eight years old, uh, but about having an obsession with football, um, I got my mum to take me to to all of the grounds. And for whatever reason, which I, I can't quantify. Um, I fell in love with Agba and Kidderminster Harriers, and I think the first game I watched was a 5-2 win against Welling in the GM Boxer Conference. Lovely. And um, yeah, it, and, and it wasn't anything particular. I mean, the ground was very modest at the time. I think the crowd was around about 800 that day, so it certainly wasn't for the glamour. It was just <laughs> something that um, some indescribable quality that just attracted me to the to the club, and I started following them for most of my sort of childhood. Yeah. And, uh, and teenage years. Then when, I, when I moved to university, I kind of drifted away because I moved to university in Sheffield and it was quite difficult and quite costly to get back and watch Kidderminster every uh, every weekend. Yeah. And um, if I'm honest, I, I drifted away from non-league football for a long time. I started watching Sheffield Wednesday, who were the, the who were my club of choice in Sheffield at the time, primarily because of Chris Waddle and David Hurst and the great players they used to have in the early 90s. Yeah. And um, I went a long time without watching Kidderminster and indeed any form of non-league football. And it probably wasn't until about 2008, 2009, by which time I'd become quite despondent with the top flight and um, the trappings of um, commercialism yeah. and, and everything around it. Um, it's, it's a very common story, but I, and it, I just really felt quite – it wasn't being disenfranchised. It was just – I just kind of lost interest. And I went to a game between Hampton and Richmond Borough and AOC Wimbledon in what was then the Conference South. It yeah. was a, effectively a title decider. And there must have been two and a half, three thousand um, people at uh, Hampton Richmond's ground that day, and it was it was fantastic. There was a a real sense of community. There were people, um, uh, volunteers, um, all around the ground in what was a you know a very busy crowd and a big game. Yep. And um, there were people who clearly were giving their time to the club as a labour of love. And it was just a generally nice and nice atmosphere. You had, you, know, you had even in Ground Three Thousand, you had people with dogs there. You had people with push chairs. Yeah. Um, you know, little kids standing on the on the uh, perimeter, you know, sort of perimeter fencing and stuff. And it really felt, um, it really felt quite uh, quite cosy. It was quite a warm feeling to, to be amongst that. Um, so I actually wrote a book at the time called Changing Ends. Um, about two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, yeah. to look at the um, to look at how non-league football differed from the Premier League and, and what non-league football was doing that might attract people who, like myself, had become a little bit jaded by um, professional football. Okay. And um, I, as a result of that, I was living in North London at the time. I, I became a volunteer with a local club called Wingate and Finchley. I spent about five years there as a um, 
performing a number of roles. I mean, working on the uh, the, the, the turnstile and um, writing for the program. Which I think is natural, that, isn't it? At that, at that level, it, you, you get absolutely. quite a lot of people doing that. Absolutely. Sort of I mean, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, in mo- that's the one thing about Donnelly that's so good. I mean, you can have chairman doing a halftime raffle. Um, <laughs> it, not yeah. always, but, you know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, there's, nobody kind of puts himself on a pedestal in that respect. So um, one, one of the things I did was, was help run the disability program right. um, for, for four or five years. So we had a disability football team in a, in a, in a local adult league. And one of the things that became very apparent um, was that even if you have a club that only gets 100 or 150 through the gate uh, each week, their worth is considerably more than that because many non-league clubs have a range of um, community activities and programs that they run outside of the first team. They also have numerous youth teams, which is a, a pathway for local players. Yep. Who, or whether they want to play a good standard of, of football or whether they want to look into progress into um, something a bit more senior. So I was actually on the non-league, um, the non-league show um, back in 2010 and James Doe yep. rang up and he mentioned, well, Caroline invited him on to talk about non-league day. And at the time, it was very much a, a social media experiment. Yep. Um, James had been down to, I think it was Tavistock, to watch QPR play in a preseason friendly he was struck by how much the gate and the occasion meant to them and he hit upon the idea um, with an international break coming up of encouraging fans who didn't have a game uh, sorry encouraging Premier League or Championship fans yeah. who didn't have a game because the international break was on and rather than sit around and do nothing to try and channel them towards uh, a non-league match instead so that was in 2010 I came on board and um, said I'd be happy to help James out in any way I could and it's it's really grown from there, and um, I'm. I'm it, it's quite interesting that one of the things we're always asked is. Um, so, so I joined as campaign manager, and yeah. and, and you know, the team at the moment is about four or five, and we're all volunteers. It's very much run again as a labour of love, um, which kind of mirrors the non-league ethos. Um, it's totally, yeah. not, totally not for profit, and um, it, it's done just to promote semi-professional amateur grassroots football. And one of the things we're sometimes asked is, okay, well, it's been going for seven or eight years now. Um, where, where does it kind of go from here? Yeah, um, absolutely. What are your kind of further aspirations? Yeah. And and um, to a certain extent, the thing we found is that there's only so much you can do in terms of getting. You, you know, some clubs don't want to take part, and that's absolutely their choice. Yep. Some supporters don't want to take part, and that's absolutely their choice. It's not, a, it's not a, a dictatorial thing where we're telling people they have to get involved, far from it. But what we have found this season in particular, and increasingly throughout the last number of years, are, there, are the amounts of um, professional clubs who are now back in the day. So this year in particular, it's been what we've seen is clubs like Manchester City, yes. um, Everton, Watford, tweeting out um, or using their social media feeds to promote the day and not just saying something like oh non-league days on check out the website actually listing out the local games with addresses yeah. and any and any offers they're doing yeah, now that that's that's fantastic and now the you know we, we've had the, the premier league have actually been really really proactive in this they've come to us and said how can we help you with this which is superb and and the national media have been very much the same and now we've kind of increased um what we found is that as as the day games more credibility in the football calendar it's now spreading beyond the english pyramid and for the first time we've got one of the uh, the scottish leagues all oh, right uh, cool. involved so the um the scottish uh, lowland football league are taking part right. which is great because it's you know it, it's it's a good standard of football it's in very scenic grounds but it also means it can kind of start that that um it, it, it kind of starts that effect where uh, other leagues may well you know it kind of snowballs other yeah. leagues will come yeah. on board yeah. So, um, so I kind of waffled on for a long time. No, there, no, but, not um, at all. That's, yeah, that's, so, great. So that's kind of yeah, that's kind of yeah, where we are at the moment. Yeah, but but it's going going really well. I think I think I'm kind of duty bound to say this, I guess. But uh, the preparations have been superb, and and we're really touched by the amount of um, interest being shown. I think by the wider football community, and that's something that uh, we've always aimed for, yeah. and something that's now kind of um, come to fruition. Well, I guess that reflects the ethos of, of non-league as well, and as you were saying with volunteers and various people within the clubs getting involved i suppose it's the same on a, a wider level for, for the particular day and as you say with the, the clubs getting involved from the premier league and the championship as well it, it's kind of spreading that um all all for one all jumping in uh, ethos so, so no that's fantastic to see 
Um, what, what, what I did want to ask as well is, is obviously you are um, somebody who spends a lot of time watching non-league football. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I kind of podcast and, and we tend to focus on, because of the clubs we support, focus on the Premier League and the Championship. Um, but do you do you feel the standard of the National League and, and even further down the ladder has changed over the recent years with the kind of increase of, of foreign players and, and possibly more so um, more elite academies from from those divisions looking for with players looking for a route back into the football league whilst playing regular football? Do do you feel that the standards increase as a result of that? It's a uh, it's a very interesting question. It's also a very complex question. Um, <laughs> One of the one of when you kind of do a compare and contrast with um, how the football landscape is now in terms of opportunities for younger players yeah. um, and how it was perhaps say thirty years ago when I first started watching non-league football in a meaningful way, um, you kind of have to take into consideration the numerous structural changes that have taken place. So, for example, the non-league pyramid has changed insofar as um, you now have um, it's now been reorganized and, and looks very different and feels very different to how it was 30 or 40 years ago you have a lot more professionalism now and I don't mean that in terms of how people conduct themselves I mean in term, I mean, although that has also one would argue increased as well yeah. but um, but in but in terms of the fact there are now a number of professional clubs i.e. full-time clubs playing in the National League National I mean for it, it's effectively a, a professional division now right. being a part-time club in that league is now um, I wouldn't say it's the exception, but it, but it's um, there are probably more full-time clubs. Yeah. I imagine if you did a, a quick uh, survey, than part-time clubs. And even going down to the the regional feeders. So if you go into the National League North and National League South, there are full-time clubs in there as well. And not just that, there are there are lots of ex-football league clubs. I mean, I was looking at the so Kidder Mr. Harrys were relegated a couple of years yeah. ago, and they missed out on the playoffs. Well, they got into the playoffs and, and lost to Chorley last year. And this season in the National League South, the standard of competition is phenomenal. I mean, you've got um, you've got Kidderminster in there, ex-league club. You've got uh, York City. Yeah. You've got Stockport County. Um, you've got a number of clubs as well who are aspiring to to get out of that league. So you've got Salford City. You've got Darlington. Um, you you have it, it's incredibly um, difficult now to get out of those leagues, and what what that means is that clubs that are coming down are finding it harder harder and harder to to a large extent to get back up again. Um, so it kind of concertinas, and you have this huge concentration of clubs getting two or three thousand fans who are still running um, full time operations who are playing kind of level six football. So in that respect, one could argue that 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 by definition being full-time, that means that the standard's probably improved. Um, in terms of your question about are, are there more players coming down, it's very difficult to answer. I mean, I, I watch I watch non-league football at quite a low level now. Yeah. So um, I watch a lot of the local clubs in Sheffield, which tend to play kind of step four, step five, step six. You, you do get academy players that have come out of um, professional academies, whether it be uh, one in League Two or one in the Premier League yeah. and play at that level. Um, I'm not really qualified to, to make a complete American trust because I'm not that close to it in terms of looking at kind of broader spectrum. But, but, but what I think what, it, what I can say with some, some confidence is that a number of players are playing in the semi-professional leagues who are capable of making the step up. And this has been shown time and time again. Um, there are some obvious examples. I mean, Jamie Vardy is the kind of poster boy for this. Yeah. But, and and, and uh, the Charlie Austin, who's been... Um, a season or two at Paul Town and has made a um, you know has made a meteoric rise to the leagues. You've also got players that people perhaps didn't realise so much. So people like Yannick Balassi who played in the non-league uh, pyramid. Right, okay. um, Troy Deeney played, albeit briefly, at, at, at Hales Owen Town. Yeah. Um, Britta Sombolonga played a loan spell at Wealdstone. And I think what what this does it provides um, it provides a competitive environment for players to play in and and, and you know give them match sharpness and get them used to playing you know men's football i mean one of the criticisms aimed at this at, at under forgive me is under 21 or under 23 under sides that are playing in the yeah. Yeah. yeah playing in the um in the i keep calling it the carabao cup it's not this shows how much potential <laughs> i'm paying, paying for it but yeah. what was the johnson's yeah, yeah, paint yeah. trophy yeah um is that it you know these, these players may be better served playing perhaps slightly lower down, down the pyramid yeah. so there are i think the key thing is that I'm kind of rambling around is there are players that play at this level who are capable of playing high, higher 
there are clubs that are scouting these players and have very good scouting networks, clubs like Peterborough United, um, who make a point um, who, who make a point of scouting these divisions. Yeah. Um, and there are plenty of players come out of academies that do play in these leagues and work and, and can work their way back up again. Perhaps another question is, um, do they take the option up? Now, I can't imagine what it must be like if you're 17 or 18, you spent your whole life from, say, the age of eight years old playing in an academy, having an expectation that one day you might make it, and then having a terrible conversation where you're told, unfortunately, you're not going to make the grade. Now, I can't possibly empathize with what that must do psychologically and how you then um, view your football career going forward. Um, some players may well, and they have done, and, you know, they may well take the decision well that's it for me I don't really want to play anymore yeah. I'd rather just play five or some of my friends some players might think okay well I'll take it up with the local non-league side so there's definitely the environment there's a lot of very well qualified professional coaches um, who operate in the semi-professional divisions yeah. um, I think a lot of the time it's whether players feel they want to continue a career and what they may perceive as a step down or what they may see as as, as, um, as it in some cases, perhaps a backward step. Yeah. You know, if you've been at a top academy and suddenly you, you, you're being asked to play on a on a, on a ground, um, a level eight of the pyramid, a level eight of the football league system, in front of a hundred fans, yeah. that must be quite a culture shock. So um, I think the environment is there, but um, it may not be for every player, and they have their own reasons, and they're fully entitled there, of course. And I, I guess to a certain extent, you know, the success of the likes of Jamie Vardy and Charlie Austin. But, you know, but the, these kids will start seeing that and start seeing the options available to them. Um, so there's potential for the growth um, going forward for, for some of these players dropping out of these academies to potentially utilise the opportunities that they, they potentially will get given. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting few years to see um, whether that does come to any fruition. And obviously, you know, it's been well publicised that, that Jamie Vardy's set up his academy as well, which has seen a few players come correct, back yeah. into the Football League this year. So, you know, again, potentially there's more scope for, for more opportunities like that. I know a few years back um, through a, a personal experience with a friend, Glenn Hoddle, set something similar up um, over in, in, in Spain. In Spain, I there. think, wasn't it? That's um, right. Yeah, that's right. And there were a few players that came back in the league, but the one that stood out was um, Ekechianya, who um, spent time at uh, Watford and also played for Scotland and, and famously mm. scored against Germany, I think it was, a few years ago. So, you know, th there is definitely an opportunity for, for the likes of, um, you know, the professional players to set these, you know, their own academies up and, and use the opportunities that they've got to potentially push this forward as well. So def definitely interesting to see um, and, you know, hopefully with the likes of non-league day as well just the the general interest that, that that's garnered in non-league football can potentially spread throughout the game a, a lot more in this country and you know at a higher level as well um but just just moving slightly away from the day i know that yep. you're um currently writing a book so you've got an ongoing project for 100 british grounds to visit before you die how's that going that's right yeah how is it going it's going well uh it's certainly taken a long time yeah. i had um very uh optimistic um plans to release it back in 2015 okay. i actually started the project in two yeah i started the project in 2013 and started visiting um so i asked the general public to vote yes. for to nominate five grounds that they would like to see included in a book that would be titled 100 british football grounds to visit before you die so it was a very democratic process yep. it wasn't um it wasn't my choice it wasn't a committee's choice i wanted the public to vote because i think it gives uh, a lot more credibility to the idea um, because what one person sees um, in a ground yeah. or what one person values in a ground another person may Absolutely. not so you might have somebody who thinks well I really like little, little tumble down grounds in the middle of the Pennines and someone else might say well I really like Anfield and Old Trafford and everyone um, has an opinion I think the book based on the votes that came in I think the book um, reflects that spectrum opinion which which adds a lot of credibility to it so starting in 2013 we're now in what 2017 yep. nearly 2018 i'm hoping to get it out next year i visited all the grounds i'm about have about seven more chapters right. or seven more grounds to write up and then i need to just go through a kind of a second draft run through and hopefully if it's not out next year i think i'll just give up but it's <laughs> um yeah it, it's um but it, i'm hoping it will be out um sort of early to middle of uh of next year I, th I think the key thing for a book like this is going to be a coffee table yep. book um the writing is important of course but 
I'm not naive enough to assume that um, I've got coffee table books. And a lot of time you kind of look at the pictures, you might skim through the words, take out a few key yeah. key details. But it's important for me personally that I'm um, that that when I'm researching the chapter that I'm um, trying to provide something that people actually enjoy writing. It's not just about the photos as well. So it's quite key that little things like the historical details correct and finding little stories by speaking to supporters and um, and people who've been there. And those little those little nuggets that perhaps won't appear in other books that will give it a, a unique selling point, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, and there's a there's a, a Facebook page and a Twitter feed for it, and um, hopefully, and it, it's gathered quite a lot of interest, which is very encouraging and very flattering. And um, it, it's nice to see there's been some um, there's been some positive feedback on, on the idea. Yeah, that's, so that's fantastic, I know it, And again, it, it's it's another labour of love. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be out next year. Okay, yeah. good stuff. Well, we're, we're looking forward to seeing it. You know, it's a keen interest for us visiting. Uh, different football grounds naturally it's as, as we said mm-hmm. before it's, it kind of comes to the higher level but um you know I, i've spent time watching teams in, in non-league and, and so has michael as well yeah. so um no it'd be, be great to see that and um really look forward to that coming out but just i, I guess last of all where, where are you going on mm-hmm. saturday i am going to ambleside united okay. who <laughs> who play now i've got to get this right they um they're a Lake District based side. I'm actually going there for the weekend right. and um, doing a bit of walking, a bit of photography. Yeah. And I believe, although I'm not going to stake anything on this, they play in the West Lancashire League. You, I could you, be completely correct. wrong. I know that. I know that. Correct. Yes, yeah. West Lancashire League. I think they were promoted or they moved, they moved sideways or something last year. Um, I believe Ambleside United, it's a very, very scenic ground, as you would yes. expect being that part yeah. of the country. I believe it featured um, in Stuart Roy Clark's um, Homes of Football. Oh, so in that respect, it has a degree of uh, um, it has a degree of, of notoriety. Um, but it's something I, I really wanted to do. I mean, one of the things I found in, you know, found in more and more is that um, I'm watching football at a lower and lower level. That's not because of any objection to high levels of football as such. I mean, I still go and watch Sheffield Wednesday at Hillsborough. I often thoroughly enjoy it. But when you watch a game. Um, at a low level you you there's kind of access you can get especially when you like I've, I've, I've started taking up photography as well and it's now almost about everything that's going on around yes the football yeah. um rather than what's just on the pitch so some clubs i go to now and um i i, I predominantly go because of the landscape or because there's something quite quirky and interesting about the club and or um the surrounding area and it's that kind of thing so ambleside united i guess they play a notional kind of step eight, nine, ten, whatever it may yeah. be, but you know, and it, but I'll still enjoy the game. But more importantly, I'll, you know, I'll enjoy the whole package. I'll enjoy the day out, and I think that's what a lot of football fans like. Absolutely, um, yeah. that, that that's so. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. That's to similar it. to us this weekend, to be honest. You know, we've yeah. got a, a, an eye on kind of uh, ingratiating ourselves into the, the the surroundings and the atmosphere and seeing a, a little yeah. bit more than the, the game itself you know we want to get there a, a little bit earlier and, and just wander around the ground and potentially even just talk to a few people there and just just see as you say the, the volunteer elements to it and just kind of see how the how the clubs run on a match day um and obviously we're going to bradford park uh, avenue against kidderminster harriers um funnily enough so kind of you know rolling all the way back around to that ah marvelous yeah, yeah so, well it's come full circle yeah. hasn't it fantastic so um fantastic. No, really looking yeah. forward to it and um you know uh, big supporters of the the kind of campaign as well and, and obviously we hope to see it grow and grow and thank you very much for for chatting to me today it's been much appreciated very welcome very i much. hope you enjoy yeah uh, i hope you enjoy yes, saturday likewise thank you very much thank you thank you cheers. take care bye cheers bye bye Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed that interview, Mitch. I thought it was, I thought it was great. You got some some really good information from Mike, and it's it's very clear of the passion that he's got for non-league football and and the sort of journey that he's been on from the early days supporting Kidderminster Harriers, and then um, sort of going into the league route, and now he's firmly in the uh, in the non-league camp. So yeah, I thought it was brilliant, and by all means, do do, do give us some feedback. We've we've tweeted uh, some of Mike's details out, so um, have a look at. At our page that's uh, at the sweeper pod on twitter um on instagram we're the sweeper podcast and you can also email us the sweeper podcast at gmail.com it'd be great to get in touch i know that mike would appreciate some feedback so uh by all means do that yeah it was, it was great to hear how much detail he kind of went into about how you know the, as, as we said before the, the people that are involved in the clubs and the volunteer-led initiatives that they have going through it and, you know that that's something that we've we've obviously seen on saturday with 
however many kilometers the fans traveling half the length of the country to go and, and uh, they probably do that on a regular basis as well which is fantastic to see but I think it you know even we can look back on our own kind of experience of non-league football um, you know certainly through our childhood and, and see the, the impact that it's had there and, and particularly for local clubs so I know that I um, grew up in and around Chasetown which some of you may know and recognize from uh, their FA Cup exploits of a fair few years ago um, you know it, it was it was a great experience for us they, they reached the the, the FA Cup proper, as it were, and, and actually were the, uh, the the lowest tiered club ever to reach the third round as well, which is you know really interesting to see. And uh, the, the first game that we played was uh, Oldham Athletic, uh, which was viewed by over three million people on TV, which is you know massive of a, a little town that effectively no one's ever heard of. I, I know you've heard of it because you've been there and had some lovely times there. But uh, but but the game itself, you know, there was a one-all draw, which which actually saw us go to Oldham and take. Um, I think there was about two and a half thousand fans up there, which literally felt like the whole of the, the kind of town. Um, and, and for me personally, I travelled down from Leeds for the first game mm-hmm. and then got the train over to Oldham on a, on a Wednesday night, which was grim and cold and nasty, um, but really, really enjoyable. Um, and obviously, you know, they, they didn't get any further that time. And they lost 4-0. Um, but then a few years later, they, as I said, entered the third round and... Um, Played Cardiff City, which was huge for them. Um, and at the time, there was a, a young Aaron Ramsey who scored his first ever FA Cup goal. Um, he's, he's probably scored quite a few since, and uh, he's done all right for himself. Yeah, he loves the FA Cup, doesn't he? Yes. So uh, you know, naturally, those those sorts of games have really given them uh, a bit of impetus and, and naturally some money as well from the TV revenues. And I know they've improved the facilities and, and the kind of youth platforms that are available as well. And, you know, even for me, I, I, I played in the, I think it was like the under-17s or under-18s, and you know, we got the opportunity to go and play at the ground every week and use all the facilities, and I, I would imagine they probably do that on a more regular basis now as well, which is great to see. Yeah, and you could see that on Saturday with the um, Bradford Park Avenue juniors that were there on, on the day, and they were getting involved, and uh, it, it is really grassroots football, and I know that sometimes when you go to your Premier League or your Championship grounds, you sort of take for granted that they'll have youth teams and they'll have an academy set up, but... Yeah. For these lower non-league sides, it's really important for them to have players coming through and um, ultimately to give those players an opportunity who who maybe don't make the grade in terms of the local academy. So it's brilliant to see the amount of work that goes into a day like Saturday and um, fingers crossed that it, that, that it grows even more. I mean, when I look back at my experience in non-league football growing up, I it was it was definitely in a, in a watching brief and... Um, I used to go to to places like like North Allerton Town and Bishop Auckland, which is, I mean, they're both in the sort of northeast of England. And um, Bishop Bishop Auckland currently playing in Northern League Division One, which is the ninth tier of English football. Yeah. I used to go and watch them at the Kingsway Ground, and um, it was a really really old ground. I think it had been there since sort of the the late eighteen nineties, and um, they were still using that over a hundred years later. I, I think they have moved stadium now, and. Um, Similar sort of stories to you, really. It was great if they ever got a, a big draw in one of the, one of the prelim rounds for the FA Cup, or um, if they had a big fixture. It was great to go down and watch, and 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 it was great because the whole town would get behind them, and it was a completely different feel to the sort of sterile atmosphere that you can sometimes get at these these bigger games that we go to now. And um, other than that, I used to go to York City, who have sort of flirted and flitted between the football league and the um, and the non leagues, and. They're currently in National League Division One, which is the same division as uh, as Bradford Park Avenue and Kidderminster Harriers. And we've got we're sort of spoiled a little bit. We've got a bit of a hotbed of non-league Northern um, Northern Premier League yeah. in this sort of area because we've got we've got Harrogate, we've got York, we've got Bradford, we've got loads of teams from around here. And and you just hope that one of those guys will go up and get back into the to, to the old conference, what 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 is now the National League, and then hopefully sort of continue that journey up, up into the Football League, which is what so many of them, them want. But it's interesting to know that there are there are clubs in the Football League which um, which don't want to go up, uh, sorry, in, in, in non-league, who, who just don't have any ambitions to go up to the, the Football League. You look at somebody like Sutton United and um, they're really banging on the door at the moment, but they haven't got yeah. the facilities which, which would allow them to compete. And it's really interesting to find out about what the requirements are to get up into those leagues. So, um, yeah, if you've got time, do by all means go and check out on league day and do a little bit of research into your local club because it can be a really fulfilling sort of environment and uh, and somewhere that you should definitely try and visit at least once a season. Absolutely, yeah. As, as I've said, been a, been a great time and I think it's probably something that we'll, we'll probably do a little bit more regular as well. And um, 
you know, I think it gives us the opportunity to travel around Yorkshire and the surrounding areas and potentially take in, you know, some more some more environments to go and watch football, whether it be at the kind of National League standard or even further down as well. So yeah, have a look at it. And uh, as I say, as, as we say, give us some feedback as well and, and get us at the Sweet Pod on Twitter and uh, yeah, feedback and, and let us know where you've been or, or where you plan on going. But that's all for now on non-league day. And uh, join us after the break where, as we said, we're going to recap very, very briefly on England's two wins and, uh, and look ahead to the World Cup next year. Scholes gets forward, he's got Heskey on for the pass. England are in again. It's Emil Heskey! It's five! Welcome back to the Sweet Podcast, everybody. And as we said, we are going to talk England. And we had two pretty abject 1 0 wins that saw us qualify for the World Cup. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount to say about them, is there really? Not really. Certainly not for the um, the game against Slovenia. I think that, that that late goal definitely put a bit of a gloss on that performance. Yes. It's not like we had chance after chance, was it? It was just one of those where um, we probably didn't deserve the win, but ultimately we got it. And uh, and obviously let's let's move on and talk a little bit about last night's game against Lithuania. Yeah, so uh, you know as we'd already qualified, there was a, a bit of an alternative team selection and system, so we moved to a kind of three-four-three in the end. I think it was, wasn't it? And um, obviously gave a, a few of the the younger lads and the less experienced international um, lads to, to come through and have a game and you know Harry Winks got his debut and, and had quite a good game from you know by all accounts and there was a back three made up of, of Michael Keane, Harry Maguire and John Stones which is, is certainly experimental and I, I think a game against Lithuania away is, is always going to be quite tough in terms of conditions I know we're belting down with rain pretty much all game as well but you know there wasn't a huge amount to really really take from the game as a, as a positive from the, the players that played. No, I think that it's it's more about the experience for those yeah. those players who um, who haven't had a chance previously and Harry Winks will be absolutely delighted with his debut, the fact that they've got the win and um, obviously that, that leaves them sort of miles clear at the top of the group and um, it's a difficult one really because Gareth Southgate would have been absolutely castigated had we not won that game but equally when else can you experiment? I know that we've got a couple of friendlies coming up against Germany and Brazil, but he'll be wanting to try and play as close to one of his strongest sides, certainly to start those games, because if not, you, you're missing an opportunity of giving them experience ahead of the tournament. So it really is a tough one with England, but um, let's sort of move away from that and talk about what our squad would be, would be for next year. I know that we're going to talk a little bit about our sort of World Cup predictions, and, yeah. um, but this isn't our predicted squad. This is, the, this is the squad that we would go for if we were in Southgate's shoes. So Kick us off with the keepers. Yeah, so, you know, we've actually got a, a kind of wealth of talent in goal at the moment. I think we spoke about it previously. But for, for us, we, we go Butland, Hart and Pickford. Um, and I think we I think we both kind of agreed that we'd like to see Butland get the number one jersey. And, you know, obviously he started last night and didn't have a huge amount to do. But, but generally, always looks quite solid. And, um, you know, we'd have Hart in there for the experience. And then Pickford, you, you're kind of wild card and he's one for the future, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It gives him the experience at the end of the day. And um, I would go with Butland. As long as he plays the full season for Stoke and has a good season, then there's no reason why he shouldn't start. So, um, defenders now. And um, I'll talk you through the right-backs and the left-backs. We've yeah. gone with uh, Kyle Walker and Kieran Tripp here at the the right-hand side of defence. And I think that those two pretty much pit themselves. Obviously, Nathaniel Klein's injured at the moment. And um, he, he's going to be out for, for, for quite a while. He'd probably push Tripp here for that second spot. But I think that Walker will be starting... Um, and then it's it's Danny Rose and Ryan Bertrand. I think that those two um, will be vying for that starting spot. Obviously, Rose has been out for quite a while. It depends how he gets on displacing Ben Davis in the Tottenham team. But yeah. I think that you've got pretty solid wing back options or um, um, just full back options, depending on what uh, formation Southgate decides to go with. Absolutely. And then centre halves. I think we've probably gone for a, a little bit more experience with with the centre halves, and we've gone for Gary Cale, Chris Morgan, Phil Jones, and John Stones. And you know, I think they, they all allow you to play three at the back and, and obviously two at the back as well. So, um, you know, I think Kale certainly a starter. And to be fair, I mean, John Stones has, has started really well for Man City this season and um, he's obviously very comfortable with the ball as well. So, you know, for me, they're probably the two that I'd start with. And then you've got Small and Jones who are both very experienced and have, have got a handful of caps between them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that obviously we need to just mention Harry Maguire and also... Um, Who's the other one? Michael Keane. Yeah. Michael Keane from Everton. And I think that those two will be close to the squad. I think it wouldn't surprise me to see them go as sort of reserves. 
Um, but but for me, I'm just not too sure that either of those two are ready to start a game in a World Cup finals. And you only have to look at our record in qualifying. You know, again, we, we can harp back about the quality of the teams that are in the qualifying groups, but at the end of the day, we conceded three goals in the whole qualifying campaign. So we've got to be very very happy with that. And um, you know, a lot of that probably does come through ha- having a, a fairly solid squad of defenders. I know we've we've had different partnerships, but. You know, those players that we fit there, as we say, definitely got the kind of most experience and, and on the balance of it probably fitting very well. But let's move on to the midfielders. So we've got um, we've gone for kind of some central, more defensive midfielders in there. Um, naturally the systems that, that we play, whether it be three at the back or whether it be um, you know, kind of three up top and, and four three three, we, we do play quite a central game and that's generally centred around Jordan Henderson, Eric Dyer, um, and then kind of Ali just in front of them, but certainly Henderson and Dyer. I think we we discussed a little bit about whether it should be Henderson. Yeah, I think Jordan Henderson doesn't bring a huge amount attacking um, wise for England, and, and that's the only issue with playing him with with um, Eric Dyer because they are both naturally defensive midfielders. But equally, if you are going to come up against a Germany or a France or a Spain or or a Brazil in this sort of tournament, then you can sort of see the benefit of having these two defensive midfielders. I think. Most of the complaints from England fans about those two starting together is that they're starting in games against Lithuania, yeah. Slovenia, games where you think, actually, can you release one of those two uh, and bring in an extra attacking midfielder to sort of bolster the uh, the forward options? And yeah, so we've gone with with, with Dyer Henderson and, and Chalabar. Um, and I think that, that Chalabar goes over somebody like uh, Harry Winks because Chalabar's going to play week in, week out for Watford when he comes yeah. back from his current injury. Yeah. And then uh, we've also gone with another central option in, in Ross Barkley. So obviously he's, he's out injured at the moment and he's, he's likely to be out until pretty much next year. But I think he just offers something slightly different for us on the ball um, where he can almost drive through the middle of the park. And different to Ali and, and, and also Lalana who we've picked um, who, who look to kind of play in the spaces and pick the holes whereas Barkley likes to get on the ball, drive forward. And you know he's got... He's got a relatively mean streak about him as well, which which occasionally you do need. Yeah, and I, for me, he's the sort of player. If Deli Ali's not having the best of games, then Barkley could quite naturally fit in where where yeah. Ali seems to play. So he's he's a good replacement. And then our final pick for the midfielders, who I don't think we've mentioned yet, is uh, is Jesse Lingard, somebody who's done a decent job for Manchester United when called upon. Obviously, played more last season than he has this season, and um, he'll be looking to make an impact on that that United team before the end of the season. And if he does. I'd say he's got a pretty good chance of going. I think that Southgate likes him. He brought him through in the under twenty ones, and um, obviously they've got a succession plan for these these players. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him on the plane at all. Yeah, and then just just crossing between them, really, we've gone for Sterling and Welbeck. Um, so you know, class them as forwards, midfielders, whatever you like. But uh, you know, they, they offer something wide, um, and obviously Sterling played through the middle last week, which wasn't wasn't great, wasn't overly successful, but. Uh, you know his club form this season has, has been excellent, and he's well on track to have his best season. So he's a form player, getting in there. And Welbeck the same. You know, rarely does Welbeck have a bad game for England, and he, he nips him with the old goal here and there as well. And you know, again, it's just that consistency and, and whether he's fit or not as to how he's going to get on. Um, and then obviously there's the strikers. So we've we've gone for a fairly standard, really. You know, the expectations would be for Kane, Rashford, and Vardy to go. Um, Kane. Again, you know, hopefully he finishes the season as he did last year, um, bagging goal after goal after goal and carries that form into the tournament. But Rashford particularly this year has shown that he's got that extra quality to step up. Yeah, I think that's come with playing games. I think that um, Mourinho's trusted him a bit more and um, he looks very comfortable on that that left-hand side of the front three. And um, you would think that him and Danny Rose or Ryan Bertrand could potentially link up quite well down there. So, yeah, we've gone with, uh, with Rashford, Kane and Vardy. And, I think Vardy just gives you something different, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. he's, he's, he's probably an impact player off the bench. He's somebody that, that you could bring on with sort of 10, 15 minutes to go. and um, He's likely to get in behind. I suppose the only danger with that is, naturally, if a defence is going to drop deeper in a game like that, he can get caught offside and his pace is essentially not worth a huge amount. But I think that, that he does give you a different option, certainly, and, and supplement it with the likes of Sterling and Welbeck. I think that's a decent attacking four or five. So that's our squad. And that's that's taken us to Russia next summer. Where are we finishing? Uh, it's a it's a very good question. I would like to see us make it to at least the quarterfinals. I'd like to see us win it. Um, I I don't think that's realistic. I think that 
Quarterfinals is probably realistic. I, I I don't think we've got the quality to go a lot further. I think a lot depends on the draw. I think that yeah. you've got to be be lucky with with sort of what side of the draw you're in because all it takes is for you to be in a a relatively easy group to win that group and for there to be a group of death with say a Spain and an Italy and you draw one of those two in the second round and that can be yeah. you out. So I think a lot depends on luck and you look at the the routes to the semi-finals that other teams have had in the past and you think of Uruguay getting there not too long ago and um, South Korea. South Korea, yeah. And you just think if we could get a decent enough draw, there's nothing stopping us getting that far. But I think that we will be limited by the by the relatively um, inexperienced squad that he'll take with him. I don't know how many of these players will have played at a World Cup before and I think that, that, that may be telling. Um, I think that we'll find out a lot playing Germany and Brazil in the next two uh, two friendlies and then obviously it depends what friendlies the FA decide to line up between uh, Christmas and, and the World Cup starting. But yeah, I'm going to go quarterfinals. That would be, for me, relative success um, because I think that, like I say, we've got, we've got a relative lack of inexperience in that squad. Yeah, I, I, I go for the same. Um, I think realistically, as we've shown in the qualifiers, we, we should get through the group. Um, again, kind of depends on draw and, and form and injuries, etc. But I think we can manage that. We've got we've got a fairly solid defensive unit, um, and I think in, in doing so, there's no need to really take too many risks. Um, I think it's then when you get into the kind of knockout stages that I think we will start to struggle a little bit. Um, I mean, realistically, we've got good attacking options. You know, that kind of front three, four of, of kind of Kane, Ali. Sterling and Rashford can all change games on, on the day um, but naturally you're going to come up against oppositions that have got similar uh, quality if not more as well so yeah I mean quarters I, I think would be I'm sure we'll get there at the time and say it's really disappointing and we'll be absolutely gutted that we've been knocked out but I do think you know given the squad and um, the fact that we can continue to build on this with probably a, a fairly Kind of standard squad of, of players that we'll get over the next kind of two, four, six years, um, and use that to build on. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, you know, naturally, I'm already thinking about where I'm going to be watching England play in the World Cup final, and um, you know it's how I'm going to celebrate. How I'm going to celebrate with all my friends when we do. But uh, yeah, we're going to get knocked out of the quarterfinals. We're all going to get really, really angry, and we're going to watch some of our friends go off in a salt club we did last summer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, keep, keep with us uh, over the season and we'll, we'll continue talking about England and, and obviously look forward to the World Cup and you know we'll, we'll see what we can do in terms of a few specials around the World Cup and we'll be able to compare our squad and get really excited about it and then, as, as we say, you know, get massively down, down hard and downtrodden. But give us any feedback on, on the picks and, and let us know whether there's going to be any differences. Um, get us a, a, on Twitter at The Sweeper Pop. Um, we'll, we'll probably put some England-based photos on Instagram um, which is the Sweet Podcast. And last week we posted our kind of experiences over the last kind of four or five World Cups that ended in sending off and uh, a couple of sendings off and a couple of goalkeeping errors. So don't be surprised to see that again next year. Now we've got Joe Hart corner and it'll definitely be starting as well. Yeah, we're a nice positive podcast when we're doing <laughs> that, aren't we? Um, but yeah, make sure you uh, subscribe on iTunes as well. Give us a review and rate. Definitely seen a few of those coming in. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you after the break for a quiz. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing four, four, fucking two. It's quiz. Sean William Ryder. Welcome back to the Sweden Podcast, and it's time for your favourite part of the show, yeah. my favourite part of yeah. the show. The quiz. And it's got a bit of an international theme this week, hasn't it? It has, yes. You've uh, set yourself up for this, to be honest, after last week, saying, perhaps we should do an international manager next week. So that's exactly what I've done. Yeah, already regret. (laughs) Well, it's 8-7 in the standings to you, so you've got a chance to to either pull away, or I've got a chance to hopefully keep the pressure on you at the top there. I'm sure that you'll be able to do that. I'm already worried. Let's hope so. Well, I think you're either... You're either going to get it very quickly or you're not going to get it at all. But we'll see how we get on. First clue, though, he's won the Ballon d'Or in 2004 for several nominations since. Wow. Um, I'm going to go for Didier Deschamps. It's incorrect. This guy has over 100 caps for his national side and began managing in 
2016 after the Euros. So he manages the international side that he played for. Is correct, yeah. Oh, I'm going to go for... I'm struggling. Um, I'm really struggling. Uh, somebody like Edgar Davids? No. Incorrect. Follow He's him. definitely not managing Holland, <laughs> is he? I didn't want to say that, to be honest. Uh, Follow in retirement for playing, he joined his country's Social Democratic Party and stood as his party's right-hand man in the 2012 parliamentary elections. Uh, I've got no idea. Is it Louis Figo? It's not, no. But I can see the logic there. He's quite involved in the, uh, in the politics and the ethical side of the game, let's say. But Luis Figo hasn't won the Champions League with AC Milan. And has famously got some runners-up medals as well. Um, right. <laughs> Doesn't help me. No? I'm, I've got a complete and utter blank. Okay. I've got nothing. Just let me recap. So Ballon d'Or, yeah. won it in 2004, yeah. got over 100 caps for his country, yeah. currently manages the team that he played yeah. for and took over after Euro 2016 yeah. and he's a politician. Yeah. And he won the Champions League with AC Milan. No, struggling. No? Okay, well the last clue, and so hopefully you'll get it after this. Nil point. Yes, exactly. Uh, I was just trying to hide the delight in my voice there. Uh, he has an English League Cup winner's medal, which he won with Chelsea after signing for an English record amount at that time. Which was just over 30 million. Did he go from Milan to Chelsea? I think he probably did, yeah. Andrei Shevchenko. It is indeed. Well done, Andrei Shevchenko. Yeah, I'm really pleased. <laughs> I'm really pleased, and it remains 8-7. Yeah, it does indeed. I'm going to have to raise the bar, I think, next week and just go with the most ridiculous answer ever. Um, oh, I really look forward to that, then. Yeah, let's uh, let's just just recap the scores, obviously. It's still 8-7 to me, um, although I think I've had one week more than you have now, haven't I? Yes. So um, you've got a game in hand, if you like. I have indeed. Really looking forward to uh, seeing what you've got in your sleeve for next week, but... That's all we've got time for this week as well. We've had a lovely old time talking about non-league day and also England and raising our hopes and expectations and hopefully your hopes and expectations for next summer or dampening them, which I think we've probably actually done in, in reality. But thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. It has, as always. And uh, obviously thanks to Mike Bailey from non-league day uh, for joining me on the phone and uh, obviously giving us a great insight. And again, we'd, we'd absolutely love your feedback on that. And uh, we'll see you next week for the return of the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, check Mike's book out as well. I know that he mentions that yes. during the interview. I think it's 100 English grounds to visit before you die. Is that right? Or British British, British yeah. grounds. Um, so, yeah, have a look at that because that's, that, that's due to come out shortly. And Mike's done quite a lot of work for various different publications. So definitely worth checking out his Twitter page. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Mike. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to those of you at Radford Park Avenue who made Saturday such a great day. And we look forward to joining you next week when the Premier League and the Championship will be back. Ciao.